It's called a salute to all nations, mm -hmm. but mostly America. Great. America did not exist. Four centuries of work, bloodshed, loneliness, and fear created this land. We built America, and the process made us Americans. Phew, boy, hottest Fourth of July we've had in years. your golden wings, sail on freedom's wind across the sky. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. Hello, my friend, and welcome to the WW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World Information Station. I am your host and your friend, Lou Mangiello, and this is show number 735, and together, as we have been since 2005, we're going to celebrate the magic of the Disney parks, movies, Marvel, Star Wars, and more here on the podcast, my weekly live video on Facebook every Wednesday night, events, blog, and so much more. Please be sure to join the community at www.radio.com slash clubhouse, subscribe to the podcast, tell a friend, and find everything else at www.radio.com. This week, we're going to take a deep dive into the untold stories, intriguing history, countless connections, and really profound relationship between Disney and the military. Beginning with Walt, through wartime years and special programs and discounts for members of the military and their families, Disney's collaboration with the military has not only left an indelible mark on both American culture, but more importantly, on the lives of those who serve then stay tuned for our Disney Trivia Question of the Week and more updates at the end of the show. And if you like what you hear, please share the show and tell a friend. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WW Radio Show. When you think of Disney, it conjures up images of beloved characters, enchanting theme parks, and countless and timeless stories that have captured our hearts and the hearts of millions of people over multiple generations. When you think of the military, your mind might be filled with thoughts of duty and honor and courage and defense of our nations. But what if I told you that there was a connection, a lot of connections, between what might seem like seemingly disparate realms. But there are connections that goes that go back to Walt Disney and continue to this day. And in the past, we've looked at Walt Disney World from a military perspective back on show number 108. Yes, that's back in 2009. As well as numerous blog posts that I will link to in the show notes this week. But 
This week, and on this week's episode, we're going to take a deep dive into some of the stories that you may have never heard before and intriguing histories and surprising connections as we look at sort of joining forces, right? The, the powerful and remarkable relationship between Disney and the military. And we're going to look at the magical roles that Disney has played in everything from boosting morale to fostering a sense of unity among military personnel and supporting the war efforts, sometimes serving as surprising inspiration and how Disney, more importantly, continues to support members of the military and their families today. And I obviously cannot do this alone. And so this week, I am joining forces with Lee Stanley. Lee, welcome to the show. Thank you, Lou. Thank you for having me. Thank you for reaching out, listening, and suggesting this topic. And I have to preface this segment and our conversation by saying that my and my family's sincerest gratitude and appreciation for you and those that serve and have served in the military and their families. That gratitude runs very, very deep and the services and sacrifices of, of you and your families isn't just appreciated on holidays, and but every single day. So thank you. I'm speaking to you, Lee, and you, other family and friends of military personnel and, and veterans for all that you do. Oh, thank you, Lee. I appreciate that. And if it wasn't for people like you, I mean, it's the people of this great country that make it worth serving. Well, thank it's you. So, so tell me, so give me, let's give us a, a little bit of your origin story. We have, we've met once before, right? At a yes. surprising, it was around food. It was a, it was a, a pre-cruise <laughs> dessert party, but you have been, you've been with the Air Force for, for more than two decades. Yeah. Yes. I enlisted in January of 2001, right before 9-11, about nine months before, prior and went through was serving in during 9-11 and, and kind of just kind of got a lot I was tended to go back to school full-time and be a traditional student but I got wrapped up in, in serving our country and, and trotting around the world and and enjoying all the things that the military has to offer and that's great and we'll talk about some of your personal connections as we go through this list including at Walt Disney World and, and some of the, the ways that the military is, is honored there. You also, you've taken this passion for Disney and the military and wanting to support military families with a with a true passion project that you and your wife set out to do, correct? Yes. Me and my wife, when we started, have, after we had children, we decided we'd go to Walt Disney World. My wife is a huge Disney fan. I am now, but I, I had never been to a Disney world until I was an, an adult. And when we started doing the research on as far as military discounts, what, what it entailed, there's a couple of websites, but it was a lot of, a lot of Googling, a lot of fine print, a lot of hard to find information. So we decided we would start a, a YouTube channel just to try to make it something digestible and and compact that somebody could watch in five to 10 minutes and get what they need to know, the important information, and, and then enjoy the trip instead of spending the time researching. And that uh, that channel on YouTube is called Salute the Magic? Yes. Yes, it is. Great. We'll, we'll, I'll certainly link to it in the show notes. But let's, let's sort of dig deep into a topic that we were talking 
before we started recording, we did not realize to a certain degree just how deep this rabbit hole goes in terms of the connections to the military. So I think what it makes most sense to start at the beginning and then work our way forward because it's really it, it Disney's relationship to the military dates back to 1917 and not with Walt but with Roy because Disney and not just his brother Roy but his entire family served in the military and we so we, I think we you know know to a certain degree about Walt's sense of patriotism and love of his country. And if you could look into my eyes, you see, you know, the flag waving and red, white, and blue goes up now. You know, Liberty Square, you know, all of the things that, that his patriotism, how it was displayed in the parks, but it really goes back to his family and their service in the military as well. Yes, Roy, Herbert, all the brothers, served and walked in, in in on his own way in the Red Cross. I mean, that's one thing that's under overlooked is the service that the Red Cross provides to the military during any operations is critical. So he, it, he may, he's wearing a different uniform, but it's still important, but it goes from the very beginning. Yes. Right. Cause Roy, and again, who's one of Walt's older brothers, served in the Navy back in World War One. He enlisted in 1917, was assigned to the USS Lake Boat Number 7 out of Norfolk, Virginia, and supported the war effort in a lot of administrative and logistical tasks. And then after the war was over, he went back to business and then being obviously a very integral part of the Disney company. And I think... When we think about Walt's family, we think about, you know, Roy is the name that we hear, but, you know, there's like the long lost brothers. So Ray Disney, who was another one of Walt's older brothers, served in the army during World War One. He joined the following year, was part of the 305th Field Artillery Regiment, part of the 77th Infantry. As a chauffeur and mechanic, maintaining vehicles and transporting troops, he then went back after the war to Chicago and worked as a mail carrier for many years. Herbert... Another older brother also served in World War I as part of the 337th Field Artillery Regiment, part of the 88th Infantry. And it doesn't seem, I wasn't able to find a lot in terms of exactly what Herbert's role was during his time of military service. But afterwards, he left and then worked as a machinist and carpenter. And you sort of mentioned Walt. And, and the thing that I love about Walt's story about joining the military is that he wanted to so desperately at the age of 16, as all of his brothers had gone in, <coughs> excuse me, he wasn't old enough to enlist. So he lied about his age. I know we don't want to think about Walt being a liar, but this one we can understand. And that's how he joined the American Red Corps, Red Cross Ambulance Corps to support, you know, transportation for wounded soldiers. But he, never was able to actually go and see active combat because the war ended before he could be deployed to the front lines. But he was in France in a lot of non-combat tasks in, in terms of driving Red Cross officials and transporting supplies. But I think, Lee, it's really important to to put a pin in this because I think his experience in the ambulance corps really had a significant impact on his life and his creative co career because I think he was exposed to so much. And I don't just mean in terms of 
the devastating war efforts, but going over to France and being exposed to different cultures and different stories, it, it had to have it not only helped him develop certain skills, but ones that would later influence his own storytelling abilities. Oh, without a doubt. Anytime you get immersed into a culture on a long, you know, when you're in France for months versus a couple of weeks, you've learned so much more and you pick up on these details that I'm, I know it found its way into Disney culture, you know, between theme parks or the movies. There's no way you can be exposed to that and not creep in. And, you know, even when he was when he was younger, he during, you know, during the First World War, he was drawing patriotic cartoons for his school newspaper, which really evidenced at an early age his passionate support for the troops. And he was even doing he was even sort of incorporating into that efforts to encourage others to support the war efforts like saving stamps and eating less so that more food could be sent overseas for the troops. And he, and Walt, you know, although he sort of felt somewhat helpless, but he also kind of felt guilty that he wasn't able to do more in order to support the, the efforts, even though his parents weren't happy about his plans to go overseas. You know, they sort of reluctantly had to allow him to go overseas when he said – He's like, look, I don't want my grandchildren to ask me, why weren't you in the war? Why were you a slacker? And I love that at such a young age, he had such an incredible sense of responsibility and duty and 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 service to his country. No, it's just incredible. I mean, it's one of the things that carried over, not just in his young life, it carried over all the way throughout you know, at post-World War One, even in, heading into World War II, when he started working with not just the American Air Force, but all, or American military, but all allied forces. Yeah, and, and we could sort of, I mean, there's a lot of, there's there's more stories, and I know Jim Corcus, I think, has, has a, a book and written articles about Walt and his time during World War One. but you're right, it, it's sort of moving forward to... Disney as a company really starting to be able to expand on that during the wartime efforts, because when the attack on Pearl Harbor took place on December 7th, 1941, <clears throat> that's obviously what, what propelled the U.S. to enter World War II, World War, sorry, in, in World War II, and the entire country sort of mobilized their industries and resources to support the war effort. About a quarter of the 600 Disney employees were drafted or voluntarily went into service. And so this extension of Walt's personal obligation and, and love of country and sense of service and this nationwide rallying around the war effort immediately sort of translated into a very patriotic response from Walt, the individual, and Walt Disney Studios, the company, to contribute to the war effort in any way possible, and they did it in, in a lot of very significant ways. Yeah, if you look, it was in every way, between allowing and encouraging people to, to enlist, 
between letting the army come in and even occupy the studios to help protect a Lockheed factory, the number of uh, films and that and projects that they worked on, the insignias that they made, which we can go, it, it's it covers every span of the company. Yeah, and I think, and this is why I wanted to to. This is why this this topic, when you sent this to me, really intrigued me because I don't think the people understand just what the impact of the company was when this happened. So let's sort of go back in time. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's early 1942. The U.S. government actually approaches Disney and says, how can you help us sort of collaborate on, let's just sort of use the, the talents and, and service you know, that you have we want you to help produce some training and propaganda films for the military because they see the power of animation and, and films in a, in a communication medium and, and Disney obviously being a very valuable asset. And we'll talk about some of the films that they created, but she sort of mentioned it, it wasn't just the creation and utilization of resources, but in June of 1942, the studio in California really sort of transitioned into a war plant and it focused on producing wartime material. So let's think about the time. It's 1942, <clears throat> excuse me, the studio is reveling in the success of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs and they are investing all of that money as Walt was wont to do into making Pinocchio. And then on and December 8th, 1941, the animation studio gave half of their buildings to the U.S. troops with one of the commanders actually taking up residence for a few days in Walt's office. So when we talk about taking over the studio, this is not, you know, using sort of a soundstage or a warehouse. They really sort of occupied the studios and converted it to help meet the needs of the military. And this is when they started to create some of the things you talked about, those instructional films, the propaganda, the military insignias. And this was a excuse me, an almost an all-in commitment by the studios to help support the military in any and every way that they had at their disposal. Yeah, it, it it's incredible to think about that once the army moved in, it you know, the studio had to change. They had to have now security protocols that had, they never had. They had to submit all the employees birth certificates and they had to be background checked and they had to have photo IDs made for everybody, all the way, including Walt, <laughs> a photo ID to go in certain places because they were working on some serious thing. You know, this, we're not making cartoons. We're making training videos. And some of this stuff was top secret at the time they made for the like bomb sites to you know, train how to use bomb sites things that had not been done before by any studio. Not They also did some not-so-secret things like the four, method, four methods of flush riveting, which is I, I still love and I watch, <laughs> and I show it as, in the background for a filler time when I'm doing training classes. <laughs> but it's amazing the different aspects that just took over the studio. Right, and taking over is really the operative term because 90% of the employees were devoted to the production of these training and propaganda films. So, you know, you think about it, the production of the output of the studio decreases in this massive way because the, the general public didn't get to see 
most of, excuse me, the top secret or educational films, which amounted to about 93% of what the studio was putting out. And you're right. The think about the studio working on films like Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, Mickey Mouse shorts, animation. Now they're doing things like aircraft identification, precision bombing and Pacific islands slated for invasion, dental health, venereal disease. <laughs> like there's a lot of very like strange, you know, there, there's, there's a, a, one of the films is called winged scourge where the shows the, the seven dwarfs show how to combat malaria. New spirit is Donald duck demonstrating the importance of paying income taxes. So it wasn't just training for the military, but, Things for, and these are obviously the ones that that the public was able to to help sort of rally the public around the the war efforts, and you know, and and there really were only two that had any sort of significant public showings, and one of them, which is Victory Through Air Power, which was the only film of that time that Walt controlled completely from start to finish. It generated you know no money for the studio, but really was a a demonstration of the commitment of Disney. But some of the other propaganda films, Lee, were <laughs> were interesting to say the least. Let's just say you're never gonna see these on Disney Plus. So, you know, there's a film called Education for Death and Defurer's Face, again, meant to boost morale, promote patriotism, educate audiences about the various aspects of war. But the Fuhrer's face from 1943 is this satirical look at at Nazi Germany starring Donald Duck, which really was meant to not just sort of poke fun, but really sort of advocated for the strategic importance of air power in warfare. Yeah. Also, the Fuhrer's face won an Academy Award. (laughs) Best animated short film. I'm kind of glad we don't have to vote on Academy Awards based on how they manipulate them. Show, but it shows the importance and the significance. You know, we sort of laugh about it now, but think about the time and what is going on, just how powerful that film must have been. And for the Academy to recognize that, I, I think, speaks volumes. No, it definitely does. And you mentioned victory through air power being significant of that. Walt paid for that personally because he read the the book, Victory Through Air Power, and he thought that the message in it needed to be broadcast to not just, quote, the book reading public. Walt wanted that message to be everybody. And matter of fact, Churchill, Winston Churchill viewed it and told FDR, President Roosevelt, you need to watch Walt's movie, Victory <laughs> Through Air Power. <laughs> and it actually changed the some of the strategic planning of, of the military at the time. I mean, actually influenced yeah. the war itself. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I, I really wanted to stress, you know, we're sort of laughing about it, and they think, well, well, they're making sort of these propaganda cartoons. It had impact and influence, not just on the military, but on, I think, the public as well, too. I mean, in terms of disseminating information and, and in helping to instill a sense of patriotism, there were sort of the, the two sides of what the studio was doing in terms of the animation that they were producing. Again, 
you know, at, at this was not a sort of profit making. We'll talk about that aspect of it too, but this was not sort of an effort to, to make money. This was an effort to sort of help the country in the most meaningful way possible. But even in addition to the animation, and again, starting with Walt, Disney did a lot in terms of emblem and insignia design. And there's a good chance you've probably have seen the, the some of these, whether it is in, you know, sort of retro advertisements. If you've been to Castaway Key, you've seen some of the nose type art. But again, going back to Walt, when he's serving as his Red Cross ambulance driver, he embellished his ambulance and other vehicles with drawings and different cartoon figures. Understanding, I think, the importance of adding a little bit of humor to the insignias to, you know, help a sense of morale. And so it's not surprising that during the Second World War, Disney used this same type of inspiration and talents to design military insignia and elements to specific squadrons and battalions and other military divisions, a lot of aircraft nose art that had characters and illustrations and personalized designs. And some of the the notable artists, Hank Porter and, and Roy Williams, did a lot of those for the American Eagle Squadron and the Royal Air Force and the Flying Tiger insignia for the 14th Air Force. He later became the inventor of the Mickey Mouse ears, work on the Mickey Mouse Club. They did work on military vehicles as well, too. They also did a lot on tanks and and really not just worked for, but collaborated with the different military units to help them understand the identity of the units and their history and the designs and the themes for their insignias and vehicle artwork. Yeah, over the course of, of the war period, they made over 1,200 different insignias for different units, and they used all the characters. I, from what I can recall, I'm, the only character that was not used, the Di- only Disney character was Bambi, which ironically, Bambi was voiced by a military member himself. But yeah, and the unit insignia is something very special. Uh, that's one thing among you, you trade, you know, when you meet somebody from, from another unit and you, once you build a camaraderie, a lot of times you'll trade your patch with each other as just kind of a you know, keepsake or, you know, Oh, Hey, I got that from that. Or I got, I was working with him and you know, the, that's this unit out in Kansas that, you know, but it, it's something that the, every part service member identifies with because they are part of that unit. And it's a very morale boosting and, it's kind of hard. You, you can't. It's it's special for Disney to have done all those for free, and a lot of them I, I really like. I wish I could. There was a. I'd love to have a, a display of reproduction in my house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and I think it's really important that all the artwork was done by the studios free of charge as a donation to the war effort. But I have to imagine Lee, it also helped to instill a sense of unique identity and pride and probably helped, like you said, with the trading of the patches, forming a sense of, of uplifted morale and camaraderie between members of units and battalions, as well as sort of across the, the war effort as well. And they did this not just for the U S they also did it for the UK and Canada and France and New Zealand. I mean, a number of other countries as well, because I think they saw 
just how much, how important it was to the members of the military as well. Yeah. I, he, all the allied forces, I believe, use it. And it shows how popular Disney was at the time. But it also extended all the way into POW camps. Walt was receiving letters from, from a POW and because they kind of form their own little unit while they're in prisoners of war within themselves. And they a letter got to him, and he decided to sing it for a, a group of POWs. Wow. And the interesting thing, too, is that when we're talking about some of these insignias, these are not ones that have an image of, you know, a bird and a lion. They're using Disney characters in all of these logos. And the most requested one was not Mickey Mouse, but Donald Duck. Donald Duck was in about 220 different unit designs. Mickey wasn't second. Pluto was with 45. Goofy was third at 38 Dumbo was fourth at 20. No, sorry. Mickey Mouse was fourth at at 37 and Dumbo was fifth with 20. And then Snow White was used only once for a medical unit. So I love the fact that he wasn't worried about, you know, the, the preservation of the integrity of the character. He was willing to allow them to be portrayed in ways that normally we know how product, how protective Disney is of their characters and their IP. He was willing to forego that in an effort to help the war effort. Yeah. I mean, I, as far as I know, he, there was no holding back. Matter of fact, he actually dedicated at least a team of six from what I could find six of his animators pulled aside. You are drawing insignias for the troops and just such a morale booster for these guys. And it was a a morale booster for those who were serving. It was a morale and patriotism booster for those people who were at home. Right. So, and, and, and to not entertain, but to inform. And I think more importantly, mobilize the civilian population, right? So we talked about things like not just sort of supporting the war effort in in a general sense, but rationing and scrap collecting and guidance on, you know, paying your income taxes because not that you have an obligation to, but when you frame it in a sense of you paying your income taxes helps to support the war effort, helps to help end the war and bring these men home. I have to imagine was very, very compelling for, for for the public at large in the U.S. Yeah, and it shows the scope. I mean, it, how successful was he? he? He got people to to want to pay income tax. They said the studies, the 37% people, 37% of the people wanted to pay income tax after watching the film. It just... Yeah. <laughs> And, you know, it's it's <clears throat> it's interesting, too, because Walt did this not for the money, but because he wanted to help. But obviously, you know, he had to, they, they the government was willing to pay, albeit slowly, some, you know, some payment to the studios. But Walt had to go to Congress in order to get paid because the government was not necessarily the fastest to pay and not necessarily paying on time. So, you know, even though there was this promise to pay for work, Walt had to sort of 
go to Congress and make these extra efforts. Because you have to also think about it too. While this is going on, the Disney studio is really the only studio that has put its productions of things like Pinocchio for all intents and purposes on pause, right? They're, they're barely breaking even. They're, they're creating, you know, literally hundreds of, and hundreds and thousands of feet of animation film, right? They normally would be doing about 37,000 feet per year. They're doing 220,000 feet of film per year. So you see that the output is not just not for the public, but the output is increased wildly. Other studios are producing little films like Citizen Kane, Casablanca, my, you know, going my way, double and all of these other studios are cranking out blockbuster hits while Disney is very much on pause. The, the, the movie industry as a whole in the mid forties and fifties is having their best year, best years yet. But there, there was a lot of sort of negative effects on the studio at this time too. Remember, the war also came right on the heels of the animator strike that almost brought the studio to a halt in 41, right? And again, the studio strike is a separate topic for a separate day, but there was a very tumultuous time. You know, Walt felt sort of betrayed and hurt by the artists. The the artists also felt that they were, you know, uh, underappreciated. And, and he, I think this was probably a very difficult time for Walt as well. He wasn't necessarily doing a lot of the day-to-day hands-on stuff. There's a financial, creative, psychological impact that led to, I think, possibly, I think it had a, had a, a domino effect on some of the motion pictures and even short films that came out afterwards because you know, there, there's a, a number of years, literally, that were not productive, for, you know, not just because of the strike, but because of the war effort. And Walt had to do a lot of things to try and just keep his studio afloat. Yeah, he, he definitely started looking around. And I think that was also one of the key things was I think it allowed the studio to kind of come together. Now the strike is over. We have a common goal though, in, in winning this war is it did allow everybody to kind of congeal and become a team again, but there, it definitely come at a cost. And Walt also, he did, he made a point. He did not want to make a profit. He did not want to be profiting off of the war because it was such a terrible thing. He didn't necessarily, he doesn't want to make money off the suffering of others, but Luckily, everybody stuck together and came through in the end, so we continue to make movies again. But yeah, everything went pause. Like I literally hit the pause button. There were animators that left, that were working on projects, enlisted, fought the duration of the war, come home, and they started right back where they left off in the studio, working on the exact same project. Yeah, it's it would be interesting to to sort of take a deeper dive into the effect of the war efforts combined with the strike and sort of how it it, it not only impacted Walt but the the trajectory of the company itself. And look, you know, when we talk about Disney and and collaborating with the military, 
for the war effort as well. We should also mention, too, they didn't just collaborate with the military. They also collaborated with Frank Frank Capra to, to create a series of films called Why We Fight to educate and motivate troops during World War II. I think there was seven films that they created between like 42 and 45 to help explain some of the causes and significance of the war to the troops and the public. And again, Lee, they're talking about very heavy topics, the rise of fascism, the attack on Pearl Harbor, the need to defend democracy. But Disney animators did a lot because it was a lot of sort of groundbreaking animation and these beautifully detailed and elegant visual representations of these maps and what these films ended up being were, were very, very powerful educational tools to help explain complex military strategies and geopolitical situations, troop movements and, and battlefronts because you can, you can use words, but, but, the visual medium is processed, you know, 60,000 times faster than anything that we can read. And by making them compelling and easy to understand, I think made it much more accessible to the public. They were very, very successful. They were very highly praised. They got a lot of critical acclaim. But I think what it did too was demonstrate the, the power of animation not just for entertainment, but for education and and during wartime for its persuasiveness because of what you were able to convey there that you couldn't necessarily do on film. Oh, without a doubt. And I think that this is really where I believe Walt Disney cut his teeth on the whole edutainment fact of, you know, we I don't think we wouldn't have in my opinion, we wouldn't have Epcot and we wouldn't have all this edutainment that Disney offers if it wasn't for this period where he had to take a, any topic and not topics you normally talk about and then doc, break it down and package it so anybody could understand. And uh, if, if the name, by the way, if the name Frank Capra sounds familiar and it should to you, movies like It Happened One Night, Mr. Deeds goes to town. You can't take it with you. And it's a wonderful life. Obviously, best picture, best director was probably the one that's most recognizable to people. But again, yeah, you're right. These these when we talk about these, the impact of the military on Walt and on the studio. And look, I, I think I think that starts to again, it it's a snowball effect, Lee, because I think in, in the context of World War II and, and the war efforts, even that the goodwill tour to South America with El Grupo, again, it was a way for Walt to help support this country that he loved so much by expanding diplomatic efforts to strengthen relationships with Latin American countries and building positive relationships with some of those nations was also strategically important to ensure stability and support for you know, the ongoing allied cause in this, you know, in this goodwill tour that, yes, was primarily focused on cultural exchange, but I think also had some underlying military objectives as well. Oh, without a doubt, all those goodwill tours, they have a, you know, they have a diplomacy aspect is huge. I mean, we call them hearts and minds trips a lot of times. I've been on a few of these where you, you're there and you get immersed into the, the local culture 
And it's a great exchange between your culture and you, know, you get to know people one-on-one and, and how they live. But it's so critical to, you know, at the time it was U.S. versus Germany trying to kind of win the hearts and minds of South America. And who better to send over to win hearts and minds than, than Walt and his team? <laughs> And they did very successful. One writer wrote that the, they did more in, three, in a few months than the State Department could do in five years. <laughs> well, I think what people, you know, we hear about the El Grupo trip, but we don't sometimes realize that military leaders also accompanied El Grupo. So that allowed for interactions and exchanges that could facilitate some future military collaboration, right? So there's a sense of unity. There's a sense of shared values between the U.S. and these South American countries. And I think the military recognized the power of this cultural exchange in enhancing cooperation, aligning the interests, and I think more importantly, building a sense of trust as they, you know, in, from a from a global sort of 30,000-mile perspective, sort of strengthens this hemispheric defense, right? From a, from a, you know, military pretense by increasing the, the, the depth of these very positive relationships. Oh, without a doubt. And it's a good thing we did it. Cause otherwise I don't know if we would have Jose. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we're, we're still benefiting from that trip. <laughs> Yeah, and again, I, we 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 when we think about things like, and you know, we even sort of watch like Walt and El Grupo, which you should watch. I believe it's still on on Disney Plus. When you look at it from a military perspective and sort of the the long term benefits and and some of the underlying intentions of it, I think it gives new 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 perspective on that trip. But look, the 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 century long relationship between Disney and the military continues and it continues to evolve. The studio still coordinates film productions with the military. And obviously, you know, if we look at it from a a perspective of today, service members and their families are also not just appreciated, but really, I think, embraced by Disney and from a, a theme park perspective, also welcomed in with very much open arms. So let's take a look, Lee, at, you know, Disney, the military today, because I think we're going to talk about things that I'm sure people have heard about about before. We'll touch on things like discounts and, and shades of green, but I think there's a lot of other programs that are currently in place that don't necessarily get the attention that they deserve. Oh, without a doubt, there's definitely a lot of programs, especially a lot of veteran programs. Disney started a lot of initiatives built with between the Heroes Work Here program. There's several major ones. And then also while you're visiting the parks, there's the, the flag retreat ceremonies. So let's let's sort I- of let's sort of hit these individually, right? Just to sort of let's and let's talk about well. We'll sort of start wide and sort of work our way in because I think when I when I think of Disney from a military perspective, and I know we covered it, you know, a number of years ago on the show, the first thing that comes to mind is Disney's Shades of Green Resort, which is exclusively dedicated to providing 
accommodations and services too to members of the military and their families. Uh, anybody who's active and retired, including National Guards and reservists, certain civilian employees of the Department of Events, I think are also eligible. But it is not just this exclusive reward, but there are special discounted rates significantly lower than other hotels in the area. The resort itself has rooms and huge suites. You can probably speak to this more than I have. It's the only resort I have not stayed in yet. A lot of different amenities and dining options and fitness center and pools and recreational activities right across from Magic Kingdom. But they also provide a lot of support services, including you know tickets and helping planning military-related events and ceremonies and, and some of the programs and reunions and, and gatherings. Can you talk a little bit? Do you have any experience with, with Shades of Green? Yeah, me and my family, we've stayed at Shades several times. Lee uh, is wearing his Shades of Green shirt right now, by the way, just <laughs> for those. <laughs> I am. Yeah, I'm, I, I love going Shades. It's it's a very nice resort. It, the building, the facility itself was originally built by Disney. And I think you covered a lot of this in episode 108, I believe. So I don't want to rehash too much, but the rooms are are great. They recently were renovated for the Invictus Games, I believe in 2016, I believe. You can Google check me on that, somebody out there. But they anything that a normal resort has, they have at Shades. They have a spa. They have, it's right next to the golf courses. They have... They have Dole Whip now, actually. <laughs> but the, it, it's a great service, and the, the, the staff is super friendly. It's everything you would expect from a Disney resort, even though it's not a Disney resort. It is operated by the Department of Defense, but you know Disney has allowed them to, to have that facility there. And it's just a great asset, and it's a great place for your family to go and, and relax and get away. And I, like, and I like the fact that it is exclusive to members of the military and their families. You know, part and parcel and hand in hand with that is there's also, also in addition to the resort, Disney offers significant dis- discounts on tickets to Walt Disney World, Disneyland and Disneyland Paris, which if you have not listened recently, I'm very much in love with. Again, a way to sort of recognize and I think honor the, the sacrifices made by military families by providing them with additional opportunities through these military salute tickets, whether you are active or retired. You mentioned the flag retreats at the U.S. parks. We talked about those a little bit. I think it is something that every single person needs to not just sort of happen to see on their way in or way out, but really should make an effort at least once to see. Lee, why don't you just talk about quickly your experience with with the flag retreat? Oh, the flag retreat tournament. That is probably one of my favorite moments at Disney World, without a doubt, just because it's just amazing because you, you get wrapped up in, in this whole, you know, you're, you're, go, you know, you're at Disney and you maximize your time. You get pulled aside from a cast member saying, hey, we have this ceremony. Would you like to participate? And it's like, well, of course I would. But and you are literally standing in front of the train station on show center. Essentially, you are staring at the castle and part of this ceremony. And you have all the emotions. It, it's 
you, you're a little bit nervous. You have pride, gratitude. It just what everything wrapped in one. And it's literally one of the moments where you you have chills run up and down your spine. It's like I couldn't believe I was part of it. So you, uh, so just quickly for those who are interested in in well, I'd love to do this. You know, for my husband, wife, my son. How do I? Is it something where you have to apply early on? Is it does it take place? You know, in that morning, do you have to go? to be asked or do you go and volunteer at, at town hall? So there's no, like Disney has not published how you get involved in it necessarily. How I was selected was me and my wife were on a keys to the kingdom tour. And at lunch, we were eating lunch and I just, a cast member stopped and, and asked me, you know, if I, if I'm in the military and I was like, yeah, I, still in at the time I think I was at 18 years and then she went on and talked about the flag ceremony and asked if I would be interested in participating and well of course I would (laughs) but I believe it they from what I can tell they look for someone who has the military look we've heard about the Disney look and there's a, a look that a lot of times military people project and I think they have cast members that just kind of keep their eyes open for a guest that has the look, if you will, and ask them. The, from what I understand, there used to be a list you can sign up for at Town Hall, but it just got to be so long when, when you have 100 people yeah. every day asking if they can be part of their flag of the ceremony. You only pick one. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> I think they just had the altered away sometimes. And it's a beauty. It is, it is an absolutely solemn and reverent and beautiful. And, and I think if, if you are an American, it, it is very emotional because there is this procession with the color guard that, that carries the flag with patriotic music and, and the bugle. And it's the flag is, is very slowly and, and reverently lowered. And there's the, the national anthem and there's this, wonderful sense of participation and respect and paying tribute to the flag. And I think is a way to, in, in a very symbolic way, show their appreciation for the military. It happens right around sunset, right? Just before sunset every single day, even during COVID, they did the flag retreat ceremony every single day, which I love because it is the only flag in magic kingdom. Those others that you see, on tops of the buildings and and bunting, those are pennants. They are not actually flags, which is how and why they stay up at night. But Lee, as we started to to talk about this via email, and then as I started to do the research, I was amazed and impressed at just how much more Disney does for the military that I think does not necessarily get the attention that that it should. You mentioned in passing one of the the programs is called heroes work here. And back in 2012, the company announced this program, this company-wide initiative to hire, train and support returning veterans. And it was a way to sort of honor and support veterans and military personnel and, and recognize that the skills and experiences and, and contributions that they have. So this veterans hiring initiative took place across the entire company not just in in theme parks and resorts, but in corporate offices. And they were actively going out to recruit veterans and look into see 
what their unique skill sets and talents talents were and are and and leadership qualities obviously a dedication to a sense of service and then affording them a, a, a lot of different a very vast spectrum i think of employment opportunities that were tailored to those skills and what i love about this program is this idea of of transitioning right transitioning out of the military and then training to help them transition into a civilian career within the companies. And again, Disney collaborates and partners with various government agencies and and veterans organizations to enhance that impact, like the Veterans Institute, Hiring Our Heroes, and the Department of Veterans Affairs. So they provide veterans these opportunities with the program. They do a lot of community outreach and support initiatives and and helping to support a lot of the nonprofit organizations as a way to not just recognize and honor in a symbolic way, but in a meaningful way, help with that transition and lead them to a career beyond the military. Yeah, that's been a great benefit. You know, it's great to give discounts on tickets and which I enjoy. Thank you. Keep doing it, please. (laughs) But you know, once your your military service is, is over, you need to transition back into what I quote unquote normal life, civilian life. And it, it's hard for a lot of service members because you're locked in this different world almost sometimes. We, you know, we have our own language amongst each other. And to get back into to the groove, you know, of civilian employment, it, it can be difficult. But yeah, they launched the program in 2012, and they they've hired over 11,000 veterans since, and it's continued. And then then Disney took it a step further and started the Veterans Institute, and not where not just them hiring service members or veterans, but teaching other companies. Hey, here is how you find them. Here is how you plug them into your company, and be you get are successful, and they're successful, and and you know working together, and it's a great great thing. As long also that Disney participates in the SkillBridge program, which is a unique program in itself, where it allows a service member towards the very end of their career to kind of step away from their military duties and shadow somebody else in the, in the company before they're even while they're still transitioning or before the transition even starts. And it's just a great thing that they've done. They also there's a also a, a a hero's supply here program where they're buying goods from veteran owned companies and disabled veteran owned companies. Yeah. And I love how, you know, we're talking about a a decade ago, there really was this very focused, very intense effort to support the military. Like we said, not just symbolically, but in a way that is going to be, beneficial in in their social and economic. So you mentioned that, that Veterans Institute Summit, which I think, again, we don't really hear a lot about, which is, it's a, it was a free event that started in 2013 that was over, I think it was over a weekend or over two days at ESPN Wide World of Sports. And this summit was a way to provide education and training and resources to help organizations better understand and support veterans 
in the workforce, right? So they collaborated with all these veterans advocacy groups and government agencies and businesses to offer free training and workshops and presentations about how, right, and best practices on recruiting and hiring. And, and I think very importantly, retaining veterans in the workplace. It's one thing to, to do a hire and then it's a short term, but being able to understand the military culture and translating some of those military skills into civilian job roles and creating an, an environment that is supportive and very inclusive, I think really helped to provide a lot of practical advice for these companies into how to integrate veterans into the workforce and promote their personal growth as well, right? It's not just for the benefit of the companies, but by sharing best practices and gaining some of these practical insights. And then I think not just creating this this summit, but providing ongoing support to the companies and to the veterans in the workplace with resources and research and, and expertise really makes that very, very significant. And it allows Disney to sort of, you know, there's this ripple effect of what they're doing, not just in the, the four corners of the Disney company, but to other companies. And, and you know, it, it, it was obviously shut down during COVID, but I know has, has come back over the past few years. And, and I think it's now presented by the Disney Institute, the Veterans Institute Summit, and the Wounded Warrior Project when it takes place in Walt Disney World. You mentioned SkillBridge. And for, for again, if, you, if you're not familiar with SkillBridge, it's a DOD, it's, right? it's, a, it's a Department of Events program that provides civilian job training for, again, these, these transitioning service members. So as long as you are eligible under the SkillBridge program, it provides fellowship opportunities and, and the ability to get hands-on experience and, and field work on real-world pro- projects in a, in a wide spectrum of aspects of the company, operations and management and entertainment and technology in an, in an effort to help, again, sort of build on and, and build up a skill set. And I think, too, Lee, it, it also helps them network having and have access to a network of people and executives within the company that helps to it doesn't necessarily guarantee them employment within the company but it helps give them the opportunity to apply for permanent positions and give them the skills experiences and i think that the connections that will help support the transition to civilian careers yeah it's definitely you you nailed on the head it's a great Great program, but does allow transition service members into a a kind of a foot in the door, so to speak. And, you know, you network and you also get to, you know, you get to pick what color shirt you wear in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, we, you know, we laugh, but, but that's something that, you know, we don't think about, right? Sort of take it for granted that we have, you know, a closet of colors to choose from. And, and there is, there is a transition that that has to pl- take place and a mindset which is not necessarily easy for everyone. Yeah, it, it's definitely something I look forward to doing here, some future. But yeah, yeah, there's there's just these little different aspects you, you just don't occur to you until you have the opportunity. And it, it's great that Disney works with the Department of Defense and, and is a partner in that in in all these initiatives. It, it's just wonderful, and it does it's. 
it's very much appreciated by the veteran and service community. Yeah. And I think too, Lee, I mean, I think there's other, there, there's, there's a lot of other ways that Disney not only works with the, the military, but helps to support the military. I, I think bring attention to the military so that, for example, the company has a longstanding tradition of entertaining military personnel through USO shows, the United Service Organization shows. They'll send performers, they'll send characters around the world to help, again, not just boost morale, but I think give a connection to and a sense of home. They continue to collaborate with the the military. We talked about some of the different military military appreciation events the volunteer the volunteers program which encourages employees uh, cast members to engage in community service often supports a lot of military related initiative, initiatives like care packages for deployed troops and events for military families i know that from working with make a wish they have a, a partnership with make a wish that extends to military families and you know creating moments and experiences for children who are, are connected to the, the military world. And we were even talking b- beforehand. I think people sometimes don't realize, you know, there's, there's a number of tributes and museums around the country dedicated to the military. We were talking about one that we had both, I, I visited a couple of years ago, you most recently visited, were these military history exhibits, including the New Orleans World War II Museum exhibit. Yeah, I was fortunate enough to actually go there yesterday with the World War II exhibit that the Disney Family Museum has actually set up a a Disney and World War II. And it just, it's mind-blowing just the different aspects that Disney has had during the war then and even continues today, you know, Throughout history, you see that they were making children's books, of course, back then. And even now today, they, with the Blue Star book program, they're giving books to military children for free, you know, to service members. It's just, it never ends. And it's great to see that the Disney company is continuing these efforts and is kind of still doing what would Walt do. And one of the things is support the military, and they're still doing that. And it's great to see. Yeah, and and I, you know, it's interesting because I, I said there's sometimes not a lot of attention that's brought to it, and I think that's it's like a double-edged sword. Like it's, it's a catch twenty-two because I love the fact that Disney does this and is continuing to be so all in on it, but they don't do it in a way like, hey, look at us, look at what we're doing. They do it relatively quietly. They don't sort of they promote it only in a sense of making people aware of it, as opposed to, you know, like going back to Walt. Walt wasn't doing it for the PR. He wasn't doing it to sort of pat himself on the back. He was doing it out of a sense of obligation. And I loved, I love that the company continues that that legacy of of why of why they do what they do. Even and I even see, you know, on places like the Disney Parks blog or at events, Disney continue on, continues to honor some of their cast members, especially around you know. Veterans Day and, and some of the holidays, honoring cast members who are former military or children of military and and recognizing them in the parks, not just to their peers, but to guests as well and, and bringing attention to them as well. And to that point, 
you know, the, <laughs> we could do a top 10 Disney cast members who had a connection to the military because, you know, going through, look, we can start at Walt Disney World, right? General Joe Potter, a key figure in the development of Disneyland and Walt Disney World was a, you know, helped sort of the, the, a lot of the technical aspects of, of Disneyland and the planning and development of Florida, helping to acquire some of the land as well. Like General Joe Potter was, you know, in the, Admiral Joe Fowler, same thing. I mean, you know, joined Disney back in the 50s, had a lot of key roles in the development, certainly here in, in Walt Disney World, which is why there are so many things named after them. But there's a number of other figures too that, you would know from Disney that that have other connections to the military as well. Let's just sort of quickly hit on a couple of the ones that, that I know we were chatting about earlier. Yeah, it, it goes on and on. Like this Disney well is so deep. You have Xavier Atencio, who, who was a, a photo interpreter for U.S. Army Air Forces, you know, looking at the, the pictures taken as from aerial photography and, and, that they turned into a strategic planning, you know, the, the, it just goes on and on. I, I, think, one of the one, I, I think one of the ones that, that is, is interesting to me is major Donnie Dunnigan. And mm. I'm sure a lot of people, you know, might not necessarily know that name. It's not necessarily one that you hear about all the time. Very, very highly decorated Marine veteran of the, the Vietnam war served for more than a quarter of a century retired as a major, but he has a very direct connection, not just to Disney, but also to Walt because he was chosen by Walt to be the voice. And you're waiting for this, like, who is this big, tough military guy that he's, Donnie Dunnigan was the voice of Bambi, which he kept as a secret, right? He kept as a secret from obviously, you know, his fellow Marines who maybe don't want to, he's afraid of of the, the blowback that he got, but he even kept it a secret from his wife. Like he kept it, he kept his his past as Bambi a secret because he didn't want to be, you know, known as sort of major Bambi. Well, and before he was a major, he was a drill instructor. He was a Marine drill instructor. <laughs> And known to be one of the youngest marine drill instructors. Can you imagine being in boot camp? <laughs> right. How would you take Bambi yelling at you seriously? <laughs> so I understand why he maybe kind of kept that on the down low. But, you know, he was a war hero in his own right. You know, he earned a bronze star, three purple hearts. I mean, he, he was a, a, a hard marine, but yeah. also Bambi. Right. Well, look, look at Dean Jones is another one, right? That Don Cat, the Love Bug and the Herbie film series. He was in the U.S. Navy during World War II. Again, lied about his age. They corrected his service records later on. But he was in the Pacific Theater aboard a destroyer during the war. And then afterwards starts this this career in acting and this partnership with with Disney. But same thing, too. He's this lovable, charismatic, comedic guy who had this you know, very serious career in the military as well. Oh, without doubt, you have, I mean, you, you have two of Walt's nine old men that <laughs> left to go serve in World War II. It's just, the they have these, it's almost a separate, it is, and I, I understand it, when you go off to war, you kind of, compartmentalize mm. that aspect. You you go, you leave whatever you do, you go do what you ever 
what you need to do and try to come back and have a, a normal life. But the, there's a, I mean, most people don't know how many legitimate war heroes that are cast members or, or animators or, or actors. My goodness. Like Don Knotts. <laughs> Don Knotts. <laughs> Listen, you know, I, whether you know him from the, the, uh, as Barney Pfeiffer from the Apple Dumpling Gang, Don Knotts served in the army during the Second World War as well. And enli- he enlisted in 1943 in what was known as the Special Services Branch. So he was there not, he was on the front lines, but he was there and entertaining troops and performing in, in comedy shows. And then obviously went on to have a, a long career with, with Disney as well. But, you know, like you said, that list sort of goes on and on. And, and I think the point of this is when we talk about Disney and the military, people's minds might go, well, yeah, of course they do shades of green or yes, I know they did, you know, some of the propaganda films, but they don't realize just how wide and extensive those threads go and those connections go, not just in the past and history going back to Walt Disney, but continuing on to this day in very significant and many meaningful types of, of ways as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, it's never ending. I mean, you, you have Buddy Hackett, you have James Earl Jones, you have Avon Driver, you, you know, there's, a, there's somebody, you know, fairly recent to the Disney world. And I know, some of the I think when, we say, when we say about actors, I start thinking about people like Arlie Ermey, right? Who, yes. who name like you like, wait, I think I know if you heard his voice, you know exactly who we are. We're, we're talking about. And you might know him as the sort of the leader of the green army men in, in toy story. And obviously has a very extensive film career, not all of them Disney, but very, very extensive <laughs> film career as well. But there are so many of these large and small touch points to and through the military and this this type of of you know magic in the military connection and 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 this idea of of joining forces not sort of just tangentially but in in ways that that continue to make a real and significant difference and and that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to to talk about this Lee because I think it's significant and whether you a family member a friend that you know is in the military or or not. I think it's just important that, that people are aware of not just the history and the legacy, but the efforts that Disney is taking part in today. Yeah, without any, I just keep looking over these notes and I keep finding the Sherman brothers. Yeah, oh God, how, yeah. <laughs> how, have, we, how have we not touched on their military service? I mean, Robert Sherman, I earned a, earned a purple heart. They wound up having to walk with a cane the rest of his life because of being shot in the knee. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm now I'm embarrassed that I sort of forgot about the Sherman brothers because, like you said, we we just there's there's there are so many people that that have that connection currently or or had that connection in the past, and it, it, it's like I said, it's why I, I appreciate you so much, not just because of your service and sacrifice, but the fact that you and your wife are continuing to try and share a lot of these stories and more importantly, help with other people, especially military families that want to come to Disney and want to experience that, that, you know, we, we get to enjoy Lee. Thank you so much for, again, your service, your sacrifice for suggesting this, for listening to the show, tell people where they can find you and and where they can find your channel. We are on 
pretty much all the social medias, but mostly with YouTube. But my wife, she does she does a little bit of TikTok, she and Instagram. I'm on Twitter. It's all under Salute the Magic on YouTube. If you search Salute the Magic on any other platforms, you you should be able to find it. But uh, yeah, our only goal is just to try to help the families instead of wasting, not wasting time, but spending so much time trying to find out how they can save their money on at Disney and other theme parks, just to try to condense it to make it quicker. And if you have any questions, just shoot us an email or a comment, depending on whatever platform you're on. We try to respond as quickly as we can. We both still have full-time jobs, so this is just a we something we do in our on the side but yeah our, just try to help the other families so they can spend more time with their family I'll, I'll obviously put a link to this in the show notes and i'll also put this in the clubhouse at www.com slash clubhouse we can continue this conversation there and, and, I'd, and i'd love for you to participate and and answer some questions that people can sort of see and chime in on as a group in in the clubhouse lee stanley Thank you again so very much. I sincerely appreciate you, not just for your time today, but in your service to our country. And, and for me and my family, I want to say thank you. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. It was a great, it was a pleasure and kind of a dream. I've been a fan of you for a few years. And it's like, I, I can't believe he's emailing me, asked me to be on the show. I, I, wait, I have one last question for you. This is, and this is, I think is the most important question of the day. It's not really, but I'm saying this half jokingly. There's only one restaurant I've never been to in Walt Disney World. Just how good is the veal piccata from Mangino's, the Italian restaurant at Shades of Green? I enjoyed it a lot. <laughs> it's been a while since I had that because we wound up eating at the park, but it is definitely. And I'll tell you what, next time I'm there, I will shoot you. Actually, I'll, I'll shoot you an email when we'll be there. If you want to check it out for yourself, you can be my guest. I would love it, man. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week, where I challenge you with a question about Walt Disney World's history, a little piece of trivia, or maybe to ask you to identify where in Disney you may have heard a sound, song, or quote. If you think you know the answer, you can enter for a chance to win a Disney prize package. And this week's trivia contest, once again, is brought to you by you. Because without you, there is no WW Radio. You literally help bring every episode of the show to life. And in addition to listening and helping to spread the word, if you want to help the show for as little as a dollar per month and get exclusive rewards every month, like monthly scavenger hunts, group video calls, we have a private Facebook group, there's merchandise including shirts, stickers, monthly care packages from the parks, early access and discounts to special events, and much more, you can visit www.radio.com support. I love and appreciate you and am so grateful for the friendship and the help that you give me and the show. And I love being able to give back to you through the nation every month. And don't forget that a portion of your contribution goes to our Dream Team Project, which benefits the Make-A-Wish Foundation of America. Thanks to you, we've raised more than $550,000 to help children with life-threatening illnesses and their families visit Walt Disney World at a time that they need it most. I want to thank some new and longtime members, including Ashley, Maggie Gavigan, Margot Pitts, 
Erica Nance and Dana Russo. Thank you for being part of the nation and my family. Again, to find out more and join the nation, you can visit www.radio.com support. Now, before we get to this week's question, we're going to go back, review last week's and select our winner. And so with July 4th coming up this week, I wanted to ask you a question about the 4th of July in Walt Disney World. And so in the second act of Walt Disney's Carousel of Progress, July 4th is being celebrated in the 1920s, but some of the family are getting dressed in costume, which is kind of weird because John and Sarah, the parents, are dressing as George and Martha Washington. That's fine. But who or what is their daughter Sarah dressing as? That was the question last week. Thanks to so many of you entered, got this one correct, and knew that she is, of course, the Statue of Liberty. And so if you remember, John is talking about how Sarah is sewing a George Washington costume for him to wear to the Independence Day celebration because her ladies' club is in charge of the festivities, and that the whole family, like it or not, kids, you're going to have fun, is going to be performing in this presentation. So George and Sarah are George and Martha Washington. Little Jimmy is dressed in a colonial outfit with his grandfather standing next to the radio, which is playing patriotic music. And times never change. Dads will be dads. Dad is yelling at his daughter, Patricia, to hurry up and get ready. And she is, of course, sitting in the room on the right, wearing a Statue of Liberty costume, worried that her new boyfriend is going to be scared away if he sees her in costume. You might not be that far off, Patricia. And if that doesn't scare him away, when he opens the door and sees that Uncle Orville's in the bathtub with his air cooling system, there's no chance he's coming back. Anyway, I took all the correct entries, randomly selected one, and last week you were playing for a WW Radio mug, pin, and a mystery prize, and last week's winner, randomly selected, is Carmen Dionda. So, Carmen, congratulations. I'll get your prize package out to you right away. If you played last week and didn't win, that's okay, because here's your next chance to enter in this week's timely and relevant Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. So we're talking about Disney and the connection to the military. And it wasn't just Walt's brothers who were members of the armed forces. And we obviously talked about how Walt wanted to be, but was part of the Red Cross Ambulance Corps. But his brothers were not the only members of the family who were part of the U.S. military. The question this week is to tell me what Disney character, part of the Disney family, what Disney character was officially discharged from the U.S. military? by the Department of Defense. I'm not kidding. You have until Sunday, July 9th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern to go to www.radio.com, click on this week's podcast, use the form there. Again, you're going to play for a mug, a pin, and a mystery prize. So good luck, God bless America, and have fun. is going to wrap up this week's show. Thank you again for taking the time to tune in. 
this and every week for being part of not just the community, but my extended family. I'd love to hear from you. Have you or any member of your family experienced any of Disney's support of military in the parks or resorts or through the programs? I'd love for you to share your experience and your story. I'll pose this question and we could talk about this week's show over in the WW Radio Clubhouse at www.radio.com slash clubhouse where I invite you to be part of the community and conversation. You can also share your story by calling the voicemail at 407-900-9391. That's 407-900-WDW1. You can also just call just to say hi, hello from the parks, a question or a comment about this or another week's show. You can also connect with me on social. I'm at Lou Mangello on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. Please be sure to like the WW Radio page on Facebook and turn on notifications there and the clubhouse so you can be notified next time I go live, not just every Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern for our regularly scheduled WW Radio live show, but when I am live, out and about and from the parks, sometimes unscheduled. Of course, as much as I love connecting with you online, nothing beats a handshake and a hug. So check out our events page at www.radio.com slash events. I'll have information soon about our next meet of the month, as well as other events, including upcoming cruises, adventures by Disney and on the road events, including some that I'm planning and I promise I'm going to announce very, very soon. And speaking of in-person events, I'd like to invite you to my Momentum Weekend Workshop in Walt Disney World, September 29th through October 1st. It is a three-day, one-room, 20-session, 50-person event for entrepreneurs, solopreneurs, and business owners that will help you grow your brand, your business, and your network. I just announced this past week on a live video the sessions and speakers. You can go to lumangelo.com slash momentum to watch a replay of the video for this year's event. But to just give you a quick idea of some of what we're going to cover, I'm going to do a session on, if I had to start over, this is what I would do differently. I'm going to talk about some of the lessons I've learned and the paths I'm taking to help you learn from my mistakes and learn from my nearly 20-year journey as an entrepreneur. We're going to have a monetization mastery panel discussion. We're going to talk about email sequences and the secrets to building a stronger community. We're going to have a social storytelling panel about crafting some of these compelling narratives across different mediums. The magic of keywords and how and why to use good SEO. I'm going to do another session on the relationship economy and unlocking the power of collaboration and community. We're going to have another workshop session about crafting a compelling media kit and pitch deck to help elevate your impact and unlock opportunities, practical bookkeeping strategies, AI in action and and leveraging the the power of AI as almost your personal digital assistant. We're going to have energizer sessions, a Friday night kickoff, networking activities, table talks, support stations, Q&A, campfire conversation, and working on what's next to help you design your plan to keep moving forward. Momentum is different and it's special because we do the work in the room. We help you create meaningful relationships and help keep your business moving forward in a positive direction. Again, you can learn more by visiting lumangelo.com slash momentum. And if you watch the replay of the live video of the announcement to the very end, I have a special exclusive discount code that you can use to save $100 off your workshop ticket, as well as the optional mastermind day ticket on Monday. 
On Monday, we do an intensive eight-person deep dive mastermind to help sort of implement what you learned at the conference and really put it into action with your time in the spotlight where the focus is all on you and your business. Again, if you have any questions, you can always reach out to me, lou at www.radio.com or just go to loumangelo.com slash momentum. I will tell you, we're about 70% sold out now. The event is sold out every single year. I would love to help you. So I hope to see you in September. Speaking of seeing you in September, if you want to come to Momentum or Walt Disney World or Disneyland or Disney Cruise Line or Alani or anywhere on the planet, the best advice I can give you is to use our friends over at Mouse Fan Travel for any and all of your vacation planning needs. Their services come at no cost to you. It's who I recommend because it's who I use. Most importantly, it's because of who I trust. You can visit them and get a free no obligation quote at mousefantravel.com. And finally, my friend, and you are my friend, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. How do you best do that? Not just by subscribing the show, but by telling a friend, by taking a screenshot while you're listening, tagging me at Lou Mangiello, sharing it on social, sending a link to this or your favorite episode to a friend, and inviting your friend to join our friends in the WW Radio Clubhouse. And if you can, take just a second to rate and review the show, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite app. I want to thank some recent reviewers like Dizdad, who said, I'm a longtime Disney fan. I discovered the show during COVID, feeds my love of Disney nostalgia like nothing else, and offers wonderful insights in and behind the scenes at the parks. Great listen. Thank you, Dizdad. And thank you, my friend. I mean it when I say I know how valuable your time is. There are so many other ways you can spend it and distractions that we have and that you choose to spend and share some of it with me means so very much. Please always remember to choose the good and react accordingly because every action, no matter how small, has the power to create this incredible ripple effect of positivity. And by choosing the good, you not only make yourself happier, but you can have that same impact on other people as well. And if you are in the U.S., if you're stationed somewhere else, if you are living abroad somewhere, happy Independence Day. And if you're not, happy 4th of July, right? It's about choosing the good. There's always something to be happy for every single day. All you have to do is look for it. Remember, every day might not be good, but there's something good in every single day. I love you. I appreciate you. I hope to see you Wednesday night on the live show or right back here again next week. So until next time, see ya. Lou, how's it going? This is Herbie calling from Minnesota. Just got done listening to your uh, your talk about the uh, places to stay. If you, if you could make your own hotel, have it be whatever you'd want to be. And all I got to ask is, Mangello, what are you thinking? How did you not have a Society for Explorers and Adventurers themed hotel? I could see an entire hotel with different wings themed to different uh, ways or different places, right? You'd have a wing featuring Albert Falls or Mary Oceaneer or Jock Lindsay even. Can you imagine a Harrison Hightower hotel? That would just be fantastic all in one. A society that explores and adventures where you get to partake and be a part of the society itself. Just had to call, let you know what my thoughts were on having a hotel like that. And I can tell you this, I would be the first one to want to stay at a place like that. Well, thank you and take care. Hey, Lou, this is John O'Brien from Southbury, Connecticut. We just finished listening to you and AJ do the Top 100. It was fantastic. It got us all the way on our trip down to the Jersey Shore, to Highlands, New Jersey. I think you know that. And uh, the only thing I think you missed was the sandwich at the uh, 
Boardwalk Cafe there, the Boardwalk Deli, the Pastrami Rubin is a great sandwich for two people. Uh, we're out of listeners of both of you, and keep up the good work. Thank you. Hey, Lou Mangiello. It's Patrice Roberti from Metro Boston's Thursday. It is June 22nd, and I'm calling an idea for when you have nothing else to do, which we never, I know that, but what I would love, last night I was listening to episode number 549, 10 Top Seats in Walt Disney World, and just listening to it and you talking about it and where you walk around and how you think about things and how you see things with your so much there's been many years of enthusiastic love of this place and and deep knowledge I mean, you have the enthusiasm you have this, the, the absolute knowledge and i was like oh i wish i could walk around disney world with lou and just have him tell me what he sees and how he sees it because it's you know, really 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 interesting you must know that you're really good at it so anyway, I know you did those audio tours, so I went on your website and I looked at that. And it looks like there's only one on Amazon now, and it looks like the other ones are on Apple, but you have to have an Apple membership. And I'm a, I'm a Samsung uh, Android person, so I don't want to get another membership. I'm sorry to say, just for that, because it looks like you lose them if, if you give up the membership. So the, to make a long story short, <clears throat> excuse me, when you have nothing else to do, I wish you would do some new walking tours, and it could be you and Lou. Whether yeah, I know you don't like to do things by yourself, but it could be you and Lou. It could be the, just a listener and you walking around, just saying what you see and how you see it, and where you would sit and where you used to sit and why you sit there and how you see things and how it used to be. I think that would be great. I think that could be podcast episodes or maybe even something you, you sell on your own website. I wish you sold those audio tours as downloads on your own website. I would totally buy them. I just don't want an Apple membership. So thank you. It's just such a joy. I've never been to Disney, but someone who goes to Disney a lot said to me the other day, you know more about Disney than anyone who's never been there. And I said, that is thanks to Lou Mangiello. So take care. Hope you have a great day, a great weekend, and a great summer. Bye-bye.